You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Back in the year 2000, we moved from Ackworth, Georgia to Louisville, Kentucky for me to go back to school. And before the move, we had made several trips back and forth between Georgia and Kentucky. And um, from, from Louisville, you travel south to Nashville, then over to Chattanooga, and then down towards Atlanta. That had been our way home, what I was used to. And so on our first Christmas, we were heading back to North Carolina to celebrate great Christmas in our real home. Ruth was just under a year old, and we had been driving for several hours. It was already getting late. We're tired. And about that time, my wife Eve says, "Um, how long do we have yet? And then it hit me. I wasn't driving toward North Carolina. I was driving to Georgia. And this grueling, you know what it's like to travel with a one-year-old baby? This six to seven hour trip quickly turned into a very long nine to ten hour trip. That trip, (laughs) that painful trip, um, is often a good description of how my walk with Christ can be. I want you to imagine with me a triangle. Um, It might even help you if you draw it as I describe it. At one of these points on the triangle, I want you to write the word performance. Maybe beside of it you could write treadmill, burden. Pick another point and write the word positivity. And maybe to describe that, instead of a treadmill, maybe you can describe it as a parade. And maybe you can write the word pride beside of it. And then at the last point, I want you to write the word pleasure-seeking. You can describe that as party, maybe even the word apathy. And when you think about this triangle as a description of how we humans tend to respond to the law of God, to the rules of the Old Testament, to the moral and religious requirements that we find in the Bible. These are are the rules that God gave Israel to do, what to do, how to do it, what not to do, how to dress, how to eat, how to worship, and and, and also how how to say you're sorry to God when you fail to keep all these rules. And all of these rules are summarized by the ten most important laws The Ten Commandments. Just as a side note, if you overlook the gospel, it's very easy for you then to read the New Testament in just like this as just a set of rules of how to work and and how to eat and how to worship and how to tell God you're sorry when you fail to keep his rules. Let's take a look at these, at these three categories of responses, if I've had them laid out there, to this law of God. 
First notice this performance. Some, some people are committed rule followers. They labor diligently. They take God's requirements seriously and they work hard. They want to obey. They strive. They often worry about their performance. There's lots of self-examination. But, but secretly, even as they're working, trying to obey, wanting to obey, oftentimes secretly hoping that other people are, are, are noticing all of their effort and their diligence. But they take God's law seriously. Which, which means that they daily see how far short they fall. Does that, does that make sense? That's, that's why I'm calling it treadmill, performance, burden. Next, notice the, the positivity point there. Some, some people look at the law of God and then they look at themselves. And I don't know whether they're not exam, examining themselves very deeply or they're not really reading and understanding what the law of God is actually calling them to. But they look at themselves and they feel pretty good about how they're doing. And, and they, they, they like how they're living. And often these folks can think to themselves, like, like the rich young ruler, I have kept these things from my youth up. And often they are very positive about, the, about their performance, but just as positive as they are about their performance, they can be negative about other people's performance. Donald Barnhouse describes people like this well when he says, when Satan takes over a community... He makes them nice, tidy rule followers who tattle on everybody else. That's what I mean by positivity. Let me, let me put my goodness on a parade. And often leads to pride. And then finally, I want you to notice that there are people who really could care less about what God says. If it is different than what they want. And this is what I mean by pleasure seeking, party, and apathy. And I want to think about this for a little while. And I want you to be thinking about where in this triangle do you tend to lean? And let's, let's realize that even though you might lean in one of these directions, you might, you might, you might leave for a while, but you're always just kind of coming back to that. Um, at other times, it's very easy for us to bounce between these. In fact, if you live in any of these areas for very long and find it unsatisfying, which you always will, then you tend to react by bouncing to another area. Often, if you've ever seen people who were, who were saved out of being just pleasure seekers, very immoral life, often they get, they get rescued out of that, but then over time they become very strict and they end up in the performance category. You have other people who, who, are, who are in that performance area, maybe God really saves them out of that, but then they get tired of being in that, and so they, they can quickly move down to where the apathetic is. That's why you can see very legalistic people all of a sudden have these very quick moral failures. Let me be clear about one more thing. Um, it, it's very easy for us to think about that, that third point, the apathetic pleasure seekers. And it's, in, in some ways, I'm describing them as really having no law. But, but these people also can, can, can look very moral at times. Often it could be gross immorality, alcohol abuse, sexual immorality, greed, just the party life. But don't we just see it doesn't have to be like that? You, can, you don't have to be immoral to be worldly. Let me, let me show you. It's very possible 
for you to be sinfully focused on this world and be a very moral person and, and live in very socially acceptable ways. Let me, let me show you this. Look over to Psalm chapter 17 for a second. And look down to verse 13. I'll, I'll leave you to read the rest of Psalm. But he's speaking of the wicked and he says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. But I want you to notice the, the kind of wicked this, this, his enemies are. From men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with their treasure, they are satisfied with children. And leave their abundance to their babes. These are family men. But, but they're focused. They're satisfied. Their portion is in this world. Look at verse 15. But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Now let me say this before we move from this triangle. That we live in a day... In which it seems like the goal of everything is balance. We've got to find the right balance. Let's find the sweet spot, as it were, between all of these extremes. But I want you to see this morning that that's not my goal. No, what I want to do is I want to lead you like a shepherd. Not just to the, to the right little sweet spot in the middle in this triangle. What I want to do is I want to lead you like a shepherd to a very different area. To a completely different place. Every single one of these folks, whatever point that you tend to line up on, every single one of these is these folks are in sin. And every single one needs to hear Romans 3 verse 20. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Or Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. My goal is to lead you completely out of this triangle to a very different place. Because wherever you are in this triangle, you are living in sin. There are different kinds of sin. Maybe they smell differently to us. But they all stink to God. It all wants to keep you. From joy in Jesus. It all wants to drag you to hell. It all wants to keep you from living for his pleasure. And living in real obedience to him. So you ready for the solution? Here's a solution. There is a solution. The only solution is Jesus. Take a look at Romans 6 verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin. <laughs> and if you go back and read the book of Romans, he's described all of these. Whatever sin you tend to lean toward, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He illustrates this well in the next passage, which is where I want to spend our time this morning, in Romans 7, 1 through 6. Let me read it for us. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take this word and you would make it crystal clear to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would not merely understand it. Father, I pray that our hearts would embrace the gospel that you are preaching, that we would believe the gospel of the risen Christ. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves, we would consider ourselves as dead with Christ, buried with Christ, and then raised again to live in newness of life, that we might bear fruit for our King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see three things in this text. First, this text describes your first marriage. Secondly, it describes a better marriage. And then finally, it wants to celebrate with you and invite you to freedom and fruit in the risen Christ. Notice with me first, your first marriage. Wherever you tend to be on that cursed triangle, the law makes for a terrible life partner. Notice in our text how the law is described. The first thing that we see about the law in verse 1 is that when you're in the relationship with the law, the law rules over its subjects. The NASB says the law has jurisdiction. The King James says the law hath dominion. The New English translation says the law is Lord over a person. The ESV says the law is binding on a person. The NIV says the law has authority. The word literally is that the law rules. It dominates. And the specific relationship that Paul uses to illustrate our relationship with the law is marriage. Marriage is a legal binding contract. Marriage is a relationship. Some marriages are pleasurable. Other marriages are miserable. But either way, they are binding. You you simply can't walk away from a marriage scot-free. In fact, it takes death to completely dissolve this relationship. So hopefully you're getting the analogy that Paul's making here. He's trying... This idea of trying to win God's favor by obeying the law. Or by thinking that you've won God's favor because of how well you think you've kept the law. Is being likened to being married to the law. It might make you feel good about yourself. But either way, you're in a barren relationship. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. We need to be very clear about this because some people are very comfortable being married to the law. They feel very safe. They feel very secure. They like it when things are black and white. Just tell me exactly what I need to do. Give me the steps and I'll do them. And it feels very secure. They feel very validated by their performance. But the law makes for an oppressive spouse and a very oppressive master. 
Even, even if you're in that apathetic area, you're thinking, well, what in the world does the law have to do with these people living without the law? But even in that area, the law makes for a very oppressive master because th- their behavior often is a reaction to the law. But, but the law is still affecting their behavior. Maybe it's causing them to rebel, but it's still affecting their behavior. And in the end, the law, even if they don't acknowledge the law, the law still has jurisdiction because they're going to be judged by the law. Either way, the law makes for a terrible spouse. The good news is that there is hope for a better marriage. Look at verse 2. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while, she, while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now it's sad for us to think about a marriage that would be so miserable that people are hoping for their spouse to die. But if you're married to the law, that's exactly what Paul is hoping for. Notice what he's saying. That death releases the legal jurisdiction of the law over a person. Think about this. If a woman were married to a, to a mean, domineering man who hates long hair and hates country music and hates crispy bacon while he is alive it would be wrong for her to grow her hair really long wrong for her to blare country music in the morning while she's fixing for him crispy bacon just out of spite but on the day her husband dies if she wants to she is free to begin growing her hair down to her knees She can tell Alexis to blare Johnny Cash and George Jones and Alan Jackson from her speakers while she cooks for herself a whole pan of bacon and eat it with a clear conscience. In fact, she's so free from the law of her dead husband that she can find herself another man. And if she wants to, with a clear conscience, she can marry that man. That really is the offer of the gospel. God is offering you a better husband. Your relationship with your first husband, the law, was a terrible relationship. Again, wherever you are on that triangle, it's a terrible place to live. On one hand, the law is so demanding. There's never never an ounce of real encouragement coming from the law. No matter how hard you try, the law will always be there saying, it's not good enough. No matter how hard you work, it's still not good enough. While you're living under the jurisdiction of the law, you're constantly being kicked in the teeth by that law. On the other hand, living under, under the law has made some of you proud, but it's a terrible place to be. You know, you know how hard you've been working, and you look all around at those, at those nobodies all around you, those low lives who obviously don't get it. They're not nearly as knowledgeable as you. They're not nearly as holy as you. They're not nearly as committed as you. And you find yourself thinking, I just don't understand people like this. And then on top of all that, there was something about the law that makes sin enticing to you. It seemed like the more the law said not to do something, the more your heart wanted to do that very thing. That, that, that's, that's what he says in, in verses four, excuse me, in verses seven through eight. What shall we say then? 
Is a law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know the law except through the law, for I would to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Look at verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which are aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. I hope, I hope all of this is making sense. If, you're a, if you've ever been a parent of more than a few children, or certainly if you've been a teacher, then you can, you can look at your students and you can see all these different reactions to your rules. Some, some of your students are rule obeyers. They are proud and they are judgmental. Some, some of your students live to perform. They, they're the kind of students that dot every I and cross every T. And they worry. They're so worried about messing up. They stress out about every deadline and every requirement. They ask you a thousand questions questions during the test. They want to make sure that everything is exactly right. And, and then some of your students, it just seems like they live to break the rules. If you came in with some crazy rule, listen, I don't want anybody putting nose prints on the ceiling. All of a sudden, people who've never thought of putting nose prints on the ceiling have this insatiable desire to put their nose print on the ceiling. That's what verse 5 means. That while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. This is why Romans 3.20 says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes a knowledge of sin. This is why Romans 4, verse 15 says, The law brings about wrath. This is why Romans 5, verse 20. In fact, just look back to Romans 5, verse 20. Notice this. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says the power of sin is the law. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says he calls the law the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. And you know what he's talking about. He's talking about the Ten Commandments that were engraved on stones by the finger of God. He calls that the ministry of death. In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 3, he calls it the ministry of condemnation, which is why verse 4 is such good news. Therefore, my brethren... You also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Look at what God is offering. Not a set of rules to beat you up, to make you proud, or to rouse rebellion in you. He's offering you Jesus Christ, a husband who is kind and patient and servant-hearted and capable and selfless and courageous who will satisfy you to the depths of your soul, the one who will never die on you because he has already been risen from the dead. God is inviting you to step out of that triangle with the law into a whole new kind of relationship, a relationship based entirely, completely on grace. The, the, the marriage analogy is such a good one. Have you ever been in love? Love is binding. Love is a commitment. 
Love is hard work. Love is limiting. If I love Eve, that means I can't love Sally and Susie and, and Betty. Love, love works very hard. People who are in love are forever working to please each other. To find out what the other one likes and then to do it for them. But the thing about love is that when you're in love, the limits and the work, they don't feel like, like, like slavery and work. They feel like heaven. Pleasing them is what actually brings you pleasure. Let's just be reminded the kind of husband that you are getting when you, when you, when you unite yourself to Christ. Again, if you know Jesus, you know he's kind, you know he's patient, servant-hearted, capable, selfless, courageous. You know that he is satisfying. But, but look at verse 4. It gets even better. Because he's also risen. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. So that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead. In order that you might bear fruit for God. Think about that. Let's just, just think very quickly with me. Why it's so great to be united to a risen Savior. First, he is now a risen Savior. Because he used to be a dying Savior. He was resurrected only after willingly, lovingly, eagerly, self-sacrificingly gave his life for you. The one you get to be married to loves you. Everything that he asks of you flows from a heart that loves you. He's not cruel. He's kind. He doesn't ask you to travel any trail that he himself did not blaze. He knows every temptation, every cruelty, every hurt you will ever feel because he felt them before you did and he experienced them. He felt them for you. Our griefs he himself bore. Number two, it is great to be married to a risen Savior because he is victorious over death. I don't know how to say this other than, other than Jesus rocks. Now, I admire my wife, Eve. I look at Eve, and I am often amazed at how smart she is, how quick her mind thinks, how she can think about multiple things at the same time. I love how secure she is in doing what's right, regardless of what other people think. I love how her mind is fixed on taking care of people, and, and I really like her eyes. I, I, I admire her. Well, listen, you don't get to marry, be married to Eve, but you get to be married to Jesus. He is what it means to be admirable. He's gentle, but he's strong. So strong that even death could not hold him. Think about what this means. Doesn't that strength make his sacrifice on the cross even better? Jesus says, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and Jesus says, I have authority to take it up again. He could have protected himself, but he didn't protect himself. Because he knows that would leave you totally unprotected. It's good to be married to a risen king. Thirdly, it is good to be married to a risen king because he is alive. 
Jesus is not a dead set of rules on a page. Jesus is a living Savior. The resurrection of Jesus was an event that happened in real time and space when his very real physical body came to life again. But he's also very much here with us. He is right now at the right hand of God, as Hebrews chapter 7 says, living always living to make intercession for us. But he's also right here with us. Isn't that what he says? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he's so connected with his people that he actually lives in us, empowering us. This is fantastic because he's the one working this good work in us. Again, Jesus is not a rule book. He is a Savior who's taken up residence in His people, inspiring and empowering them to will and to work according to His good pleasure. Which brings me to the last thing that we get to say today. Hopefully, you've been given something to celebrate. Let's celebrate, finally, the freedom and the fruit in the risen Christ. Look at verse 4 again. Therefore, my beloved brethren... You also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Notice how the Christian's life is described. When your old husband, the law, died, you were set free. And then you're united to Jesus Christ by faith. This is a whole new kind of relationship. This is a relationship of grace. You don't earn this relationship. You enjoy this relationship. You don't earn love in this relationship. You enjoy love in this relationship. This is not a relationship of slavery, but a relationship of freedom. Think about how different that is than that life in that stupid triangle. There's no pride here. What's there to be proud of? Everything I have is a gift of grace. My only boast is Christ. There's no drudgery here. There's no treadmill here. The work has all been accomplished. The acceptance, my acceptance, is based totally on His effort. On His perfect effort, none of mine. And what is there to rebel against here? Love? You're going to rebel against grace? And so notice the beautiful result at the end of verse 4. You, you get into that relationship. And the result is that you bear fruit for God. One of the most amazing things about grace is that when it is accepted by a good heart, it makes people good. Now, I want to be very clear that, that wicked hearts are masters at exploiting grace. That's another sermon. But, but, but the good heart, the, the good heart that, that accepts grace is made good. But, but, but uh, this heart that's been transformed by grace bears the sweetest fruit that you can imagine. Think, think about it. Isn't it. According to the Apostle Paul, what was it that empowered his life and his ministry, his zeal and his holiness? In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. He says, I worked harder than any of those others, yet not I, 
but the grace of God in me. It was grace that empowered his zeal and holiness his whole life. Look over quickly. Keep your place there in Romans chapter 7. And look over to the right a few books to the book of Galatians. You'll go past Corinthians and then get to the book of Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. Catch this. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If it was possible for righteousness to be produced through the law, then Christ died for nothing. According to verse 21, where does righteousness come from? It comes from grace flowing from a better husband, a crucified and risen Savior. One more. Look over to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes through a whole list of of what it means to live in the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... He says in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. My favorite poem of all time, and I need to be reminded of this over and over and over again, came from the Puritan John Bunyan. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far grander news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, and it gives me wings. Or maybe you like Johnny Cash's version better. Alexis, play us some Johnny Cash. I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day's through. Yes, I'll admit I'm a fool for you. Because you're mine, I walk the line. If you're not a Christian today, I want to tell you, proclaim to you, that Jesus is offering himself to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin, whatever your sin looks like, whether you're a performance-driven person trying to validate yourself by how you perform, or whether you're a very proud person who thinks you're already there and you're great, or whether you're living in open rebellion against God, just loving the world instead of loving Him, whether that's sinful pleasures or whether it's very good pleasures that, that you love instead of God, wherever you are, the wages of that sin, the result that that sin will reward to you is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, let, let, me, let me talk to Christians just, just here as I close. If you're a Christian, this is how you came to Christ. You, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. It is, it is very easy for you to do just like what I did on my trip to Louisville. To start off on a very familiar road instead of the right road. It is very easy for us to start out right and then to get totally sidetracked and fall back into life in the triangle. Listen to the question of Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. No, let's go home. Let's go home. And let's live and love and serve through Christ. He's a better husband. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I am thankful that you have not left us in our sin. Lord, I am thankful. We, I am thankful that your, that your word doesn't, doesn't target any one kind of sin. There is no stone. There is no heart. Your word says there is no flesh is justified in your sight. There is no living man who is righteous in your sight. Jesus came to save. He came to save the proud. He came to save those who are working to save themselves. He came to save those who hate his guts. Father, I pray that you would work that work today through your gospel, that we would repent of life in that triangle. And Father, I pray that we would learn to live with Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.